Hello friends, so glad we can again gather as a community to grow in knowledge and wisdom as we seek the Lord together. I'm Colin and this week we are taking a break from our study through the book of John for what we're calling Vision Sunday. For the last few months you may have heard us say our desire is to be a Jesus-formed community on mission. So what does that exactly mean? Well today Pastor Char Broderson unpacks that weighty statement as he tells us that God calls us first and foremost to be disciples of Jesus. We are invited to spend time with Him, and in doing so, we are transformed by His love. We are to practice the way of Jesus, to do so in community in order that the world may know by our love what God is truly like. It's a collective vision for our church, but it's also what we believe God has called all believers to pursue. We're taking a break from our regular teaching through our series in the Gospel of John just to focus on the vision and culture that we believe God has called us to build here at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And if you're part of this community and attend our gatherings on a regular basis, you've heard us say that we are seeking to be a Jesus-formed community on mission. This statement is meant to help each of us understand the values and priorities of this community. This is what we're about. This is where we want to go as a community. This is what we want to see the people of God doing. And so this is really an invitation to each of us to take hold of our discipleship to Jesus and to live it out in the unique places with the unique opportunities that God has given to each of us, whether we are gathered here together or scattered throughout Orange County. Now, I think this statement, a Jesus-formed community on mission, encapsulates both what we believe is the biblical vision for the church and our convictions of the priorities and responsibilities of individual Christians and the local church. Every Christian is called to grow in conformity to Jesus Christ, to be more and more like Jesus. Paul, and we'll look at this, unpacks this for us in Romans chapter 12. Every Christian is to cultivate Christian community. We see this in Acts 2, where the church there is practicing the way of Jesus together, the way that they serve one another, the way that they provide for one another. And lastly, every Christian is a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom of God. Clearly, this is how Peter envisions mission happening as he writes to the church who he sees as being in exile, being disenfranchised, being under the power of Rome. This is how they are to witness the coming kingdom of God. Now, I know that this statement, a Jesus-formed community on mission, is packed, filled with meaning, and so my desire this morning is simply to unpack that for us so we would be able to take hold of this vision and faithfully live out our discipleship to Jesus in this place that he's called us. So first, what does it mean to be Jesus-formed? Well, Paul, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which is a shorthand for the gospel, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, every single human being is formed into some image. We talk about this often from this stage. Something is driving you. Something is giving meaning and purpose to your life. Someone or something is setting the standard of right, of wrong, of truth, of beauty, and goodness. Each of us, every single day, are being sold 
as it were, through whether social media or 24-7 news or the latest films or even music being put out, this version of the good life, that if you just get the vision right and then you practice these steps, you also can experience the good life that Hollywood has presented for us or this social media influencer has, you know, laid out for us. If you just go to Target and you just shop at the right spots, your home can also look like my home, right? Like, it's, it's true. We're being sold this version of the good life. And, you know, I don't want to like demonize this, but we buy into this kind of stuff all the time. You know, you buy the shiny little thing and you think like, this is it. This is going to complete my house. This is going to complete my wardrobe. This is going to complete my guitar collection or whatever it might be. And guess what? Never does, right? But the point is, we're being sold a version of the good life, and that vision includes priorities, convictions, habits, life goals. And we believe that by practicing that way of life, taking certain steps, we will arrive at the intended goal. Or maybe on the flip side, negatively, that if we don't practice and prioritize these things, we won't achieve the particular goal of desired destination. The point is everyone is being formed by someone or something, some vision for life. Now, Paul here in Romans 12 is telling the Christian community in Rome that in light of the kindness and grace of God experienced through the gospel, we should not let the world form us into its image. Now, I'm not talking about target. I'm not talking about the rings of power or whatever you might be watching on you know, your streaming services. We're talking about something much more insidious, something much more devious that you actually probably can't really you know, discern with the naked eye. We're talking about the world's values, priorities, goals, and practices that lead us in the opposite way of our king and his kingdom. Paul says instead we ought to give ourselves completely to God, allowing him to form us or transform us and shape us. And as we do that, we will discover the good and perfect will of God. God's intended purpose for his people, why we are here, alive and breathing, endowed with the gifts, desires, and opportunities that we have, we will discover how to take God's story of salvation to its next intended place, to write, as it were, the next chapters of the story of God and the world. See, Paul is affirming this truth. Everyone is being formed, and he is saying, Christians, those who follow Jesus because of what God has done for you in and through Jesus Christ, you are to be formed into the image of Jesus, representing God's will and kingdom everywhere you go. So in other words, Paul is telling us, church, you need to be Jesus-formed. So if you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a Christian, however, you know, whatever term you use for yourself, you are engaged in a lifelong journey of transformation into the image of Jesus. You are called to be Jesus formed. Now Martin Luther said this, this life therefore is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, not health but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. The Christian's journey or experience is a lifelong discipleship process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And so I just want to ask this morning, how are you doing with that? If you were to take your spiritual pulse this morning, 
Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Where are you at? Are you more like Jesus today, manifesting his love, kindness, and grace than you were last year? Or what are specific areas of your life currently where you need God to work? You're seeing a disconnect between what you believe and what you practice. What you know to be true, but then your lived out character. Now this question is not meant to condemn or shame anyone. It's simply meant as a check-in to see where we are in discipleship to Jesus. So this morning, would you say, I'm growing. I'm growing. Would you say, I've plateaued. I'm complacent. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where I'm going. Or maybe some would even say, I'm regressing. I've actually gone back into old habits and practices. Now, one of the reasons I read that quote by Martin Luther is because when I think about and talk about being a follower of Jesus, I prefer to use the term disciple rather than the term Christian. For me, the term disciple carries the idea of apprenticeship and a journey or process of becoming rather than of already having arrived. It reminds me, as I say, I'm a disciple of Jesus or I'm a follower of Jesus, it reminds me of my meaning and purpose as a human being. To follow Jesus, there's action required there. To become more like him. But not only that, the word disciple is actually a much more biblical word for followers of Jesus than the term Christian. The New Testament only uses the term Christian three times, and every time it's used, it's actually used in a derogatory way. In contrast, the New Testament uses the word disciple 269 times to describe a follower of Jesus. Just let that settle in for a moment. 269 times this word is used. Sadly, in our time, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. You can be a Christian without any intention of becoming like Jesus. Discipleship to Jesus, especially in the American church, is optional. And what I find is that people are very confused about all of this. Church people are constantly asking questions like, what does God want for my life? What is God's will for me? What should I be doing now as a follower of Jesus? Maybe that's a question if you're new to following Jesus. I want to answer that question for you this morning. Here's the answer. What should you be doing? What does God want for you? What is his will for your life? Here it is. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus as his disciple for the rest of your life life. Practice his way of life in order to become more like him and to do what he did. As a disciple of Jesus, you and I have one goal, and it's to conform our lives to our teacher, Jesus Christ, in order that we might become like him. Jesus actually says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Talking to his disciples, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. So there's not this idea that we're ever going to become Jesus or anything like that, you know, or, you know, that, you know, one day, like, we'll join the divine because Jesus was just another human who had the divine spark in him and we can be like him. That's not what we're talking about here. A disciple is not above his teacher, Jesus says, but everyone, when they are fully trained, interesting verbiage, Jesus, when they're fully trained, will be like their teacher. You know, it's pretty wild. I pastored a church for just around 14 years. And though we were engaged in many, you know, biblical, orthodox, 
practices as a local church. I don't know if I could have answered that question, what is God's will for my life? I probably would have said something like, oh, God's will for your life is your sanctification. And I would have quoted, you know, Paul. But the specific of following Jesus as an expression of my discipleship, somehow nobody had ever made that clear connection for me. Maybe it was assumed, I don't know. But one day, it all began to click. I'm not just a disciple waiting for some human to come around and take me by the hand and disciple me and sit me down and teach me the Bible. I am a disciple of Jesus. And as the New Testament writers wrote the gospel and they're talking about the disciples as opposed to the crowds or the disciples as opposed to the Pharisees or the Herodians or whoever it might be, this is used on purpose to ask us, where are you? Are you among the disciples or are you among the crowd? Are you just another face in the crowd or are you one who is following Jesus in his way of life? That's what a disciple is. I'm not a disciple of Calvary Chapel or of Chuck Smith or of Brian Broderson or who, Greg Laurie or whoever we might think of, like, oh, this person discipled me. No, I'm sorry. They may have helped you. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ as a Christian. That's what it's about. Years ago, I had this moment, and I'm so thankful to God I had this moment. As I was reading scripture, I realized there is this trajectory that God's people are on. We have been redeemed. We have been called to belong to Jesus, to bear his image, to practice his way of life, because the end of the story is that we will rule and reign in Christ, with Christ in the kingdom of God. And realizing then that this life is an apprenticeship for ruling and reigning in the kingdom of God. So the question is, oh my gosh, how, and I don't mean this again like this big pressure, but wow, okay, I've got work to do. I'm gonna rule and reign with Christ. I need to grow in wisdom and stature like Jesus. I need to grow in humility and kindness and love because one day I'm gonna rule and reign with Christ. And this life is like an internship for the eschatological kingdom of God. I realized that I was called to be a disciple of Jesus, following him wherever he goes. Now, the gospel of Mark is really near and dear to me. The Gospel of Mark lays out a pretty clear outline for what discipleship to Jesus looks like. Uh, this should be on the screen. Mark 3, 13 through 15 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, look, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So the first thing that Mark highlights here is that Jesus calls these disciples and he just wants them to be with him. And then after this process of being with him, he sends them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. It's interesting to note that in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, this is the description of Jesus' ministry, that he goes everywhere proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and casting out demons. So here's the idea that we see just early on in the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus calls disciples to be with him, to spend time with him, to become like him, and then sends them out to do what he did. Discipleship, according to Mark, works in three waves, and I just want to go over those quickly with you. Number one, as a disciple, Jesus is calling you and I to be with him. Be with Jesus. Spend time with him. Listen to him. Watch his way of being with people, watch his way of working and moving throughout the crowd and 
finding the individual, the needy person. Watch his way of life. Contemplate his words and way of life. Just soak him in. This is what disciples in first century did. They chose a teacher and they just followed him. Think about the disciples themselves. Three and a half years, they ate, drank, slept, walked the roads, sat by the fire, ate meals together. They did everything with Jesus. They were just with Jesus. And so as disciples, we also are prioritizing time with Jesus. Time spent in his presence. How do we do that? Well, I would encourage you, immerse yourself in the Jesus story. Get into the gospel stories and just read them again and again and again. I remember a few years ago, my mom and I were having this conversation just about what we were reading in scripture and how God was speaking to us. And she said something just so powerful and profound to me that it has stuck with me since then. She says, I just want to immerse myself in the presence of Jesus. I just want to take in his story again and again and again. And so I never leave the gospels. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm doing that too. And ever since then, I've just lived in the Gospels. Yeah, I go to the epistles. Yes, I read the Old Testament. Yes, I believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But I live in the Jesus story. I just want to soak in his person. I want to take him in again and again, his words, his ways, his works. I want to practice time alone with Jesus, quietly, just being in his presence, similar to the way that I can sit with my wife, Grace, and just be with her. I don't have to say anything. She doesn't have to say anything to me, but I just, just love just being in her presence. It fills my tank. Spend time in his presence, thinking about his person, talking to him as a friend and confident, a counselor and guide who journeys the way with us. Paul the Apostle, he talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this. This is such a packed group of verses here. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The idea here is that as we spend time in the presence of the Lord Jesus, contemplating his words, his love, his ways and works, the image of Jesus leaves its imprint on our lives. We are Jesus formed by being with Jesus. But the disciple is not just called to be, he's also on a journey or she's on a journey, not of being, but of also becoming. Become like Jesus. This is that call as a disciple or as an, as an apprentice to practice the way of the teacher. And so we also are called to practice Jesus' way of life, his rhythms, his teachings, to follow him, to do what he did. Now, I believe that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7, is the most important teaching of Jesus for disciples in forming Jesus-like character. It's where we learn the way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom of God. And by practicing these things, it's how we follow Jesus as our teacher. Now, let me just say this. Practicing the way of Jesus is not about trying. It's not about earning. That's not what we're talking about. It's about Training, training to become who he has redeemed and called us to be. The way of Jesus, or we'll reference Paul, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ is the gymnasium for the disciples of Jesus. By practicing the way of Jesus, we do what Paul exhorted Timothy to do, to train for godliness. This is how we grow in character to become more like Jesus. Through practicing his way of life, we practice forgiveness. 
as described in the Sermon on the Mount. We practice non-retaliation. We practice meekness. We practice peacemaking. We practice mercy and sincerity, purity and fidelity, fasting, prayer, simplicity, love of God, love of neighbor, and love of enemy. We practice these things. Becoming like Jesus, it has that idea of apprenticeship, to practice the way of Jesus so that it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes second nature. You know, this is how all character or even gifting is formed. So I started playing guitar when I was roughly 11, 12 years old. I took a really, you know, um, kind of silly guitar class where, you know, he's taught to strum like, a bowl of soup, a bowl of soup. It was just, it didn't really help me at all. And then somebody bought me a guitar for Christmas, and then my, da- my dad taught me my first power chord, and he was like, now you can play punk rock. And I was like, okay, we're going somewhere, right? But when I first started playing guitar, I mean, it was atrocious, like, so bad. I couldn't press down the strings. It hurt my fingers so badly. And I just didn't have like this motivation because it just felt like it was so far off. It was so unattainable. But I had this drive when I listened to music, like, I've got to play that chord. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to hear that song and I got to play it. And I had this drive. And guess what? I practiced my power chords. I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and then I was given opportunities to join in this band and just kind of shadow them and then I would practice and practice and then somebody would say, hey, try this and I practice and I practice and guess what? One day I wake up and I'm in a band and I'm playing in front of thousands of people and I'm like, and I'm doing it. I'm playing that chord. And I'm playing it with all my heart, right? And this is not like to talk about me and like, oh yeah, Char, I'm this amazing musician. But the point is, is right, we only see the finished product and we're like, wow, how amazing, you're so gifted. No, I'm not. I practiced my butt off for the last 20 years and now I can play all right, pretty decently. See, it's the same thing with following Jesus or anything else. Like, oh, I'd love to get there. Oh, my gosh. That's, I, I could never attain that. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Because you have the Spirit of God living in you. But you have to work out your salvation as well. You have to take hold of your discipleship. You've got to practice being with Jesus. You've got to follow him in his way of life, practicing these things. Put off those old ways of doing things. And put on these new habits of love, of grace, of humility, of patience. Correct those things when you fail. And guess what? I guarantee one day you will wake up and you will follow Jesus and it will be like second nature to you. You will do the right thing at the right time because you have been practicing the way of Jesus. And so when you are met with a difficult situation where you say, I could never, ever forgive someone of that, you will forgive someone for that because you have been practicing the way of Jesus. This is how Christ is formed in us. Yes, it is hard work but it is so worthwhile. It is for our benefit, it is for the benefit of others, it is for the glory of God. It's for our own flourishing. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, so that it becomes a part of who you are. And lastly, we do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? I think if we could summarize what Jesus did, is Jesus alerted people to the presence and power of the kingdom of God everywhere he went. I love that John uses the word signs, and we've talked about this, but a sign is a billboard, as it were, of coming attractions. The kingdom of God has come near you, Jesus would say, after he would perform some miraculous sign of healing 
of restoration, of renewal. He alerted people to the presence and power of the kingdom of God. Disciples are called to do what Jesus did. Peter describes Jesus as going around doing good. I love that. He went around doing good, and he healed all who were afflicted by the devil, for God was with him. Oh, that it would be said of God's people that we go about doing good and bringing healing to those who are afflicted by the devil and by sin. Everywhere Jesus went, he represented God's kingdom reign. He alerted people to the presence of the kingdom of God with both his words, his ways, and also his works by denouncing evil and corruption and healing the effects of sin and suffering. If we could just make a list of what Jesus did. Jesus preached the gospel. He taught the way of the kingdom of God. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He performed justice. He ate and drank with people who were far from God. He prayed and he prophesied. He stood up against religious hypocrisy and pride, and he spoke truth to political power. And he calls disciples to do the same. Jesus sends us out to continue this kingdom representation. To alert people through our lives to the presence and power of the kingdom of God. So your goal, my goal, is to learn how to do all that. And it's a lifelong journey. It takes your whole person your life goal as a Christian is to live as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, to be Jesus-formed. And I want to offer you the invitation today to take your discipleship into your own hands. To not wait for someone to come along and take you by the hand, but for you to enter into the Jesus school of discipleship by practicing these three things for the rest of your life. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. As Craig mentioned, we are a church that is about this Jesus formation. That's what Sunday mornings are about. This is not an evangelistic event. This is an opportunity to be equipped to grow in maturity and Christ-likeness through receiving the word. The gathering that we're doing on Wednesday night is a you know, multitude of classes to equip you to do the work of the ministry, to grow in you Christ-likeness and maturity, to take your discipleship forward. There are many samplings and opportunities here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for you to be Jesus-formed. We are a church that is committed to that Jesus formation. But what is a Jesus-formed community? A Jesus-formed community is a community whose culture and values center on the person of Jesus and the practice of his way of life. And I can't think of a clearer description of this than in the book of Acts. I mentioned this earlier, but Acts 2.42 describes the early church as devoting themselves to four things, apostles' doctrine, to the common life or fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. See, the early church centered their public and private lives around what we call the Apostles' Doctrine is just the Jesus story. Peter, tell us again, how did he open their eyes? Tell us again about the feeding. Tell us again about what Jesus did, right? They were just so enthralled with the story of Jesus, how he'd fulfilled all the promises of God and inaugurated the kingdom of God. They wanted to hear it again and again and again. They were a community whose lives were wrapped around the Jesus story. But not only that, Fellowship, the common life, what is that? That is the Jesus way of living. They were committed to the Jesus way of living. They were committed to practicing and remembering Jesus' sin, atoning life, giving death, what we call the table or the Eucharist, the breaking of bread together. And they were committed or devoted to the prayers, their access to God as Father through Jesus. This was a Jesus-formed community. And we can listen further to the description of this community. It says, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and 
simple hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The point in reading all this is to show that the early church didn't just uh, subscribe intellectually to the gospel, but they actually practice it as a way of life. It was something that involved their daily lives with one another. They became a community marked by bearing each other's burdens, making sure that no one lacked anything or anyone considered anything as their own, but they just shared it freely as there was need. It was a place where the effects of the gospel were felt physically. It was almost as if God's kingdom was reigning among them. That's what it means to be a Jesus-formed community. The practices, habits, priorities, and values of God's kingdom is at work among us. And when people interact with this community, whether here on campus or in our homes or in our neighborhoods or, you know, we just throw a neighborhood barbecue, that they experience the goodness and kindness of God. That's what a Jesus-formed community looks like. Okay, maybe you say, all right, Char, how do you do that kind of community in a church this size? Great question. Glad you asked. Because we have actually so many opportunities to do this together. So many opportunities to live out the Jesus-formed community through the various small groups that we host, from men's and women's ministry, to home fellowships, to care groups, right? There, again, is a, tons of opportunities for you to practice the way of Jesus in community, to practice yourself, but also to be practiced on, to experience all of that goodness as well. But let me just say this, like, I think, my personal conviction is that groups, community groups, small groups, whatever these are, these are like training wheels, right? They help you get your balance, get your understanding, but the point isn't to like live for the rest of your life in a community group. The point is to live your life in community, right? But groups and the things that we facilitate, these help us form character so that we actually just live our lives in community. So essentially, our conviction is this, that every disciple of Jesus needs to cultivate a Jesus community with a small band of other Jesus followers in order to help them grow to be more like Jesus. You cannot be made more like Jesus in isolation or a vacuum. Well, what about Christians in solitary confinement? I'm talking about you, not them. Okay, let's stay on task here. You need others to practice the way of Jesus with. You know, that's so funny, though. I'm probably just part of, like, our individualistic American culture, but it's like, okay, God, I'm in my prayer closet. Make me holy. God's like, no, I'm going to send you out into the world, into a Christian community with people that actually rub you the wrong way so that you can practice patience. I'm actually going to give you the opportunity to decide, am I going to bear this person's burden or am I going to bear my own burden? Because this one's already pretty heavy enough. It's those kind of opportunities that challenge us and push us beyond our own capacities of love into the deep, deep love of Jesus. Nothing else like community will help us grow in Christ-likeness. It challenges us out of our selfishness and into practicing the way of Jesus. Now, this community, it's cultivated by formal and informal gatherings, just like any family. There's opportunities we have in the midst of those to work out our salvation but also enjoy the gift of life and friendship in Jesus. So my point is, community, yes, it's hard work sometimes, right? It's difficult, but it's also rewarding. We get people to celebrate these joys of life with, to turn and say, wow, what a gift. What an incredible opportunity that I have this friendship or this camaraderie with these people. I'm not alone, Community cultivating, yes, Christ-like character, but also just to enjoy the gift of life with. Community gives us an actual network of support in following Jesus and navigating the difficulties of life. 
lives, of our lives. If I could say, I think these are four things that we would love to prioritize cultivating in community. Remember, that's rather, that's, whether that's the formal host groups that we have here at Costa Mesa or this is in your own life. Number one, cultivate love. As a Christian community, we're called to stir up love and adoration for Jesus. Remind ourselves of the great, great love of God, how good God is. But also, helping one another practice the love of Jesus. Remember how Hebrews tells us that we are to stir one an- or spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So we cultivate love in Christian community. We also cultivate faith. How is God at work in you? Testimony is an opportunity to celebrate the faithfulness of God. And you know what always happens to me when I hear a story of God's faithfulness to an individual? I say, man, if God can do that for that person, he can do it for me. And my faith is grown. In Christian, Jesus-formed community, we cultivate faith. In Jesus-formed community, we cultivate honesty. We need community where we know someone else's story or where our own story is known. I had an interesting moment a couple months back where I was talking to an individual who had been a Christian for many, many years and, and you know, expressed kind of the ups and downs, you know, the backsliding and the coming back, but here they were, ready to recommit, follow Jesus. And I said, oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, we talked about this. It was a great, great conversation. And towards the end, I just said, hey, do you have a group of Christian friends that you can share your grief with? A group of Christian friends who know your pain, the things that you carry. Do you have that? Do you have a group of Christian friends that know what brings you joy? They know the greatest moments of your life, and they celebrate those with you. Are you known? This is a high priority of Christian community, that we know and are known. This is one way that we practice a Jesus-formed community, the God who knows us. We need community where we know other stories, their joys, griefs, and burdens, and we are also known in the same way. A friend of mine describes it this way. He says, every one of us need friends who know us best, love us most, and tell us the truth we need to hear. Man, I think that every human being longs for that kind of friendship or community. Where advice is not just given, but it's given because there is a deep, intimate knowledge of that person's pains, their story, their hopes and dreams and their fears. And so even when wisdom and counsel, truth, hard truth is given, it navigates all those waters and can speak directly to heart desires, or core fears. Something my professor often says is that when he meets with people, he wants to know two things. Where do you hurt and what are you afraid of? And he wants to apply the goodness of the gospel to those two areas. Man, what if we had a Christian community that was practicing that way of life together? So in Christian Jesus-formed community, we cultivate love, faith, honesty, And last but not least, we cultivate service. We bear one another's burdens. We practice hospitality, supporting each other through the various stages of life. A friend says this line to my wife, and it's just so beautiful. You know, uh, it's a friend who's a safe place to kind of unload what's going on. And sometimes, you know, we feel like, oh, I shared too much. Oh, you know, I I put this burden on this other person that I should have just kept that to myself. And she says, no, you are never too much, and you are always enough. Man, wouldn't that be great to have Christian brothers and sisters who say, your burden is my burden, and I'm glad to share it with you. Paul says, bear one another's burdens, for this is how we fulfill the law or the way of Christ.
Jesus-formed community has Jesus at its center so that everyone is both cultivating and modeling a Jesus-formed life. And as we practice these values and virtues of love, of faith, honesty, and service with one another, it is the Spirit of God who works mysteriously in and through all of this to form Christ in us. We practice these things, yes, but God is the one who works to form Christ in us. Now, lastly, what is a Jesus-formed community on mission? And I'm already quite a bit over, so we're going to fly through this one. You guys ready? Buckle up. All right, Jesus-formed community in a nutshell is this. It's the community of God's people living out our discipleship to Jesus in every facet of our lives, which causes people to ask questions to which the gospel is the answer. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 15, if you'd like to turn there. It's a passage that's well known to many, and we often use it to remind every Christian that they need to take a course in apologetics so they can defend the faith. But I would like to read this passage in its context to see what Peter is actually saying. Because this passage is about giving witness to the hope of the gospel, but just listen for how Peter envisions that witness happening. It's kind of long. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, just pause for a second. Those characteristics, do those remind you of anyone? Compassion. Loving one another. Not repaying evil for evil or insult for insult. Does that remind us of anyone? Jesus. Yes. Exactly. Peter goes on to quote the Old Testament. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now Peter responds, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if that should happen, you suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I don't know if you heard it, but let me just unpack this for you if you missed it. According to the Apostle Peter, mission or giving witness to God and his kingdom is a community effort that is driven by Christ-like character being practiced and cultivated in both our private and public lives. The character lived out among God's people causes them to stand out as, as Paul says, children of light. Or Peter says, peculiar people. And the answer to our strangeness is the goodness of the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of the good news. This is what Peter imagines happening. Christians live their lives in such a way that people are like, you are so weird. And it's not because we say weird, cliche things like, the Lord bless you. And non-Christians are like, the what? Who? The Lord? Who's that? You know, like... It's not that we just use Christian jargon and that makes us Christ-like. It's about character. It's that we don't do what they do. We don't repay evil for evil like everyone else, basically, in this world. We are not haughty and full of ourselves and practicing selfishness like every other human on the face of this planet. We practice a different way of life and they're like, That is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Why would you do that? Oh, well, let me tell you why I would do that. These opportunities to share the gospel. Now, Peter is not alone in his view of witness. You find that this is the posture of the church all throughout the New Testament. We find it in Mark. We find it in the writings of Luke. We find it in the writings of Paul. 
Witness is something the church does through the community cultivating a Jesus-like lifestyle, which must be public. Tertullian, an early church father, tells us that the Roman pagans were struck by the witness of Christian love, exclaiming, see how they love one another. Now, I believe that part of the problem of Christian outreach and Christian evangelism is that it lacks the character of Christ. Not always, but often lacks the character of Christ. It lacks God's goodness. It does not put on display the oh-so-personable love of Jesus for the individual but instead often mirrors the values of our culture, treating people as commodities and objects with sales gimmicks for salvation, seeing people as problems to be fixed or projects to be worked on or sinners to be saved rather than human beings to be known, loved, and transformed to bear the image of the Son of God. We need a more whole view of witness. Though God has led this church to do outreach, to go on mission trips, hosting attractional events to draw people to hear the gospel, and I'm certain we will continue to do so, our conviction is that the biblical bread and butter of witness is Christ-like character being displayed through every facet of our lives, especially through times of difficulty, scarcity, or even hostility. And that causes people to take notice and ask questions to which the gospel is the answer. And as we have been cultivating this way of Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what he did, when people ask those questions, man, hopefully our witness will be like Jesus with the woman at the well, unhurried, conversational, dialogical, back and forth, deep and personable, Convicting and transformational. It will be in the way of Jesus. Michael Goheen, a missiologist, he says this, witness means embodying God's renewing power in politics and citizenship, economics and business, education and scholarship, family and neighborhood, media and art, leisure and play. It is not just that we carry out evangelism in these areas of life. That is important, but not enough. It means that the way we live as citizens, consumers, students, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, and friends witnesses to the restoring power of God. It alerts people to the presence and power of the kingdom of God. So, this is my big conviction as I read Scripture. Jesus' formation, this is my math equation, let's put it that way. Jesus' formation plus Jesus' community equals Jesus' mission. It flows from identity around the person of Jesus to cultivating Christ-like character. Mission just flows. It just happens. And God brings those opportunities. And yes, we do seek out those opportunities to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. The mission of God is something that flows from the life of the disciple and the Jesus community. Now, in conclusion, yes, we are going to finish. I want to bring it all together. Here we go. Ready? Lord, give me grace. As we entered into, I hate even saying these words. The 2020 pandemic and all the insanity that came from it. There were many within the church and without asking this question, I don't know if you remember this, is this the apocalypse? And I'm not sure how you answered that or would have answered that question at that moment. But I think in retrospect, we can all say yes. The COVID pandemic of 2020 was an apocalyptic event that revealed, because that's what the word apocalypse means, a revealing the lack of health, vitality, and genuineness of the American church's discipleship to Jesus. It revealed that we have a discipleship crisis. 
And I think what we've seen in the church by and large is that though we might affirm the gospel and biblical truths, our habits, our values and desires are greatly and maybe even mostly formed by the surrounding culture. We know the right thing, but we want the wrong thing. To quote Dallas Willard, he says, our mistake is to think we can follow Jesus while living the rest of our lives just like everyone else does. The church thinks it knows the Bible, that they are Christian, but as we mentioned, but they aren't disciples of Jesus. Their lives don't reflect the life and character of him. Individual Christians practice community where they want felt needs met, thinking that life is all about them in order to live as comfortable as possible instead of answering the call to discipleship. Well, what about mission? Churches and church leaders want to multiply their brand instead of build the kingdom of God. Pastors and leaders in the church think that simply saying gospel words is preaching the gospel and is enough, yet church leaders are plagued with scandal after scandal of selfishness, of greed, of oppressive leadership and sexual abuse. And we can't write this off as, oh, another moral failure. It is a failure to be formed into the way of Jesus. We have been conformed to this world. Plain and simple. We are in a discipleship crisis. And so let me just bring it all home. The aim of this church and this ministry is not that people know the Bible and are biblically illiterate. The aim of this ministry is not that people are cared for by the pastors and leaders. The aim of this ministry is not that more churches are planted. The aim of this ministry is not even that the gospel is preached. What? The aim, the goal, the purpose is that our people might be transformed by the love of God in order that they might reflect God's love back to him in all righteousness, goodness, and truth, and that this same love might be reflected out into the world, that people might know by our love what God is truly like. Now, everything else is secondary to this whole life transformation that God desires to do in his people. These are not my words. This is Paul the Apostle. He writes to Timothy, Timothy, I write so that you might know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is a pillar and buttress of truth. And he says this, the aim or purpose of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. That is whole life transformation. That is what we're after. That is what God wants for his people. That God's love might transform us from the inside out. That we might reflect God's love back to him and out into the world. That is what a Jesus-formed community on mission looks like. If we lose sight of this, we miss everything. But if we get this right, I believe everything else gets thrown in. Yes, we will preach the gospel. Yes, we care that people are loved and cared for by the pastoral leadership of this church. Yes, I, we care about all those things I mentioned, but that is not our goal or our aim. The priority and the order are hugely important because more than anything, God desires to transform the character of his people to reflect that of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be put on display in order that he might draw people to himself to rescue, to redeem, and transform them. This is why our aim is to be a Jesus-formed community on mission. Now, as we reflect and respond to God's word this morning. I invite you to come to this table this morning as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And again, as we've taken our spiritual pulse this morning, that we would reflect on that question, where am I? Am I growing? Then come to this table in gratitude. Come to this table, eating and drinking to be filled up and to continue that discipleship to Jesus out into the world.
Man, if you've plateaued, you've become complacent, I encourage you to come to this table with your hands open, saying, Lord, would you fill my hands? Lord, would you fill me with good things? Remind me through the bread and the cup, the sweetness of Jesus. Would you remind me of how good it is to walk with him, to be his disciple, to be in his presence, to know his love in a deep and intimate way? Come to this table. Come home. Be reunited with Jesus this morning. And lastly, if you are someone who has regressed, you've gone astray, I would say to you as well, come home. There is a sumptuous feast of bread and wine here for you. Take and eat. Jesus welcomes you to his table and he invites you once again to be his disciple, to take up your cross and to follow him. So let's take this bread and this cup together.